And Father, where we, where we fail, Lord, give us grace. We thank you for this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. The last time that we were together, we were looking at a, at a narrative of a man who was born blind and healed by Jesus. In those 12, first 12 verses, we learned of man's problem. We, we, like this man, were blind from birth. We were spiritually blind in our sin. We could not see Christ, nor did we have any desire to see Christ because of our sin. We were unwilling and unable to come to Christ. We could not see Christ, but as we learned last week, Christ could see us. We thank God for the grace that he has given us in coming to us in our blindness and saving our sinful souls. The Bible says in Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We saw last week the the disciples question. Their question was, who sinned? This man or his parents? Christ taught that this man's blindness was not because of some hidden sin, nor was it the nor was his blindness the result of some generational curse passed on from his parents. Rather, this man was born blind for the glory of God. We saw that this man was born blind for the moment that Christ would come fix his gaze on this blind man and heal him. And in healing this blind man, this blind man would also be used to verify that Jesus Christ is from God. We also saw the instruction. So he instructed the disciples on the matter of who sinned. And he instructed the blind man on what to do after he placed mud on the blind man's eyes. The instruction was, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The blind man went in faith, washed, as he will say later in this chapter, and he could see. The people, we learned last week, were confused. This man that they have seen sitting and begging for years is now able to see despite the fact that he was born blind. What we will see in the following verses is really the result of man's hard hearts or hard heartedness toward unbelief or toward truth. They were unwilling to believe even when truth is irrefutable. We will see four points in this chapter. If you're taking notes, we will see number one. The misuse of the Sabbath. We will see number two, hard hearted unbelief. We will see number three, faith in the face of opposition. And we will see number four, Jesus saves sinners. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 13 or John chapter 9 verses 13 through 41. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read just the first 16 verses or first maybe four or five verses. And we're going to continue to, to, to go after each chunk as we go on. So I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man 
who was a sinner, do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. We are going to cover the entire chapter. But that particular section really does summarize the rest of this chapter. Number one, the misuse of the Sabbath. So this man has been healed in amazement. Of this man's healing, he is whisked away to the Pharisees. He may or may not, more than likely, was not taken to the Pharisees on the same day that he was healed. Because it was a gathering in the Pharisees' court, which they would not necessarily do on a Sabbath day. So, he's taken to the Pharisees. That's what we do know. They have taken taken this man to the Pharisees because they've seen... Because they were seen as the spiritual leaders of that day. So the people essentially want the Pharisees to give an explanation of something that they've never seen before. A man born blind. So religious leaders explain to us how this happened. More than likely, they are bringing this man to to the Pharisees also to tell them that this man was born or this man was healed on the Sabbath. When the man is brought to the Pharisees, they went through an explanation of how he was healed. And if you can imagine the scene, here is this man who has been a beggar for most of his adult life. He's in his ragged clothes. He's brought into the courts of the Pharisees. And in this court, there are 70 men. They are seen as the elders of Israel. These men sit in the seat of leadership and they recognize this man. They recognize this man as the man who has been sitting in the by the 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 walls of Jerusalem for years now. And as he sat there, he has begged. And as he sat there, he has also been a blind beggar. And here comes this blind beggar now able to see. And if you can imagine the scene, seeing these 70 men Watching a man that they have recognized or that they do recognize as being the blind beggar now walking into the temple courts and seeing every single one of their faces. He can see their faces. And as he's watching or looking at them, there must have been shock and maybe even whispers among them. This is the blind beggar. This is that man. And maybe even whispers among themselves. How can this be? There is maybe order brought to the meeting and the man is brought before the Pharisees and he stands among them all. And the Bible says in verse 15, they said to him or asked him again, how was it that you received your sight? The Bible says again. So there must have been an ongoing investigation of the miracle that had that had happened so miraculous that that the Pharisees even continued to ask what happened. How did this happen? Tell us again. He may have said it the first time. And the men who were so shocked by what they saw began to discuss among themselves, this cannot be. Maybe this man has been faking his blindness all of these years. Order is brought to the court again. Now, tell us how you received your sight. This man who was once blind is obliged to answer. Verse 15, he says this. He put mud on my eyes and I washed And I see, I've already told you 
what has happened to me. He appears to give a description of what happened to him in an almost exhausting manner, almost as if I told you, I've been telling you mud wash. I see that's it. The men began to shout. This man is not from God. Why? He does not keep the Sabbath. Why would they make a a conclusion such as this? This man is not from God. What would cause them to make such a statement? Because not only was he doing something out of the ordinary, but he was also doing something that they believed only God could do something like this. Only God could give eyes to a person who never had any. This miracle has never been done before. And it's been done for a helpless man. A a mighty act of mercy has been performed. But listen, the blind-hearted enemies of Christ... They could not see the beauty in this action. The only thing that they could focus on, the only thing that they concentrated on was this. This man has broken the fourth commandment. He is a Sabbath breaker. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He's a lawbreaker. He has worked on the Sabbath. What is this investigation really all about? Is it about a man who received his sight or is it about a man who has broken the law? Apparently, it's about a man who has broken the law and done so by healing a man on the Sabbath. Think about that. That's their reasoning. In their eyes, Jesus was a lawbreaker. In their eyes, Jesus had broken the Sabbath. Not because, listen, not because he had broken any revealed revelation from Scripture that God had ordained for us to obey on the Sabbath, but rather because he had disobeyed or even ignored their man-made laws. That they made up that you cannot that you could not perform on a Sabbath day. They were making up laws and putting those laws on the shoulders of the people for them to obey them. But they were not from God. For example, a law that they made up. The Lord Jesus made mud from saliva and dirt, which violated the law against kneading, kneading as one would do with dough. So Jesus making mud was in violation of the kneading law. Or for more closer to home, the Masa law. You guys get that, right? Because the kneading would constitute work. He was working on the Sabbath. The rabbis forbade any kind of medical treatment on the Sabbath unless a person's life was in danger. Jesus was using his saliva to medically perform. And they believe that there were healing elements within the saliva that Jesus was using his saliva as a medicinal for a medicinal purpose to put on the man's eyes and heal the man. He was once again breaking the Sabbath. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus knew about their ridiculous laws? Think about it. They made up these laws. And do you think Jesus knew about their laws or do you think he was oblivious to the law? I didn't know I couldn't use my saliva. Oh, kneading. I didn't understand. Forgive me. I didn't understand that we were not supposed to knead on that day. Of course he knew. So here's the other question. Why do you think that he would deliberately provoke the leaders by violating their man-made laws? What do you think about that? A few reasons. Number one, because Jesus wanted to show them that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
They were not the Lord of the Sabbath. They were not the ones who could determine what one could do or one could not do on the Sabbath. Jesus was the one who was going to determine what he could do or what one could do and what one could not do on the Sabbath because he is the Lord and they are not. He will do whatever he darn well pleases on the Sabbath, essentially. Number two, he wanted to reveal their lack of mercy. Here are the leaders of Israel. Those are the spiritual leaders of Israel, and yet they are not showing mercy as a spiritual leader should show mercy. Rather, they are more concerned with the fine print of the law, which is not even in the law. This day was to be a day of rest, a day of worship for the people. And rather than it being a day of rest and worship for the people, the gift from God became a burden for the people. Because of the way in in which the Pharisees corrupted it and put burdens on the people that were too heavy for them to bear. The Bible says, or not the Bible says, history tells us that a man could not even pluck out a hair on his head or on his face on the Sabbath because it would constitute work. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus says concerning them, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Or in verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what are those matters? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You are concerned with the fine prints of the law that are not in the law. And you are neglecting the fact that a man who has been born blind can now see. Where is your rejoicing, men of God? Where is your praise of God? Instead, you are more concerned with laws that are man-made rather than mercy that has been shown. These hypocrites did not see that the Sabbath was meant for the good of man's body, the good of man's mind. The good of man's soul. This day was to be separate or set apart from all of the days. And its sanctification was never intended to prevent works of mercy. The Sabbath being set apart for sanctification was never meant for you not to show mercy on that day. They had misunderstood and misused the Sabbath day. To heal a man blind on the Sabbath day was not a violation of the law. It was a fulfillment of the law to give mercy on the Lord's day is to practice with the Lord himself. The mercy that he has given us by giving us the gift of the Sabbath day. Amen. What about your Sabbath day? What do you do on this? The Lord's day. In what way are you being merciful or do you look constantly at your watch hoping that I'm done by 1130 so that you can beat the, the other Baptists because we are Baptists. <laughs> To Hodel's. How do you drive on a Sunday when all the other church people are trying to get to the same restaurant as you? And you know that they're trying to get to the same restaurant as you. As you are driving alongside of them, you both give each other that look like I'm going to get there first. There is no mercy in our eyes. There is only I will be served first. In what way are you taking advantage of the gift that God has given you to rest on this day? It is used as a day to worship God. It is used as a day to be merciful. And let me say this, that this day of worship will be no good to you if you spend this day worshiping him and the rest of the week worshiping yourselves.
Do not misuse the gift of worship and the gift of rest that God has given you on this day and the rest of the week to constantly live in light of the fact that every day is the Lord's day. As this, this discussion continues, the men escalate their anger and voices arise. But there are also voices of reason that arise. Number two, the hard hearted unbelief of men. This is verses 16 to 24. Verse 16. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Incidentally, one of those men who would have asked this question, how can a man who's a sinner, since you say he's a sinner, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? One of the men who would have questioned this or raised his voice was a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a part of these 70 elders who went to Jesus in John chapter three, if you remember, secretly at night and asked Jesus. How is one saved? There was a group of people who understood the same thing that the blind man understood. Verse 32. Never since the world began has anyone ever heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. They were right. And so was this blind man. There are no records. Do you realize this? There are no records in the Old Testament of a man being healed of his blindness. Not one. Not in all of the Old Testament. There is not one recording of a blind man being given sight. And here comes Jesus. And the blind are now seen. And as we will see later, the dead are now raised. And as we will continue to see, or as we have saw in John chapter 5, the sick are healed. There were occasions. Now listen, there were occasions in the Old Testament of miracles. But they are few and far between. Over a, th- a span of thousands of years, maybe 2,000 or more, there are a few miracles. Then Jesus shows up on the scene and John tells us that there are not enough books in all of the world to record all of the miracles and all of the things that Jesus did in three and a half years. Can you imagine every single day there is miracle after miracle happening? It is unprecedented. These things did not happen before. And the question is... How can a sinner do such thing? We've never seen anything like this in all of our history. It's a great question. And it demands an answer because if this man is not from God, then these miracles demand an explanation. How is he doing this? By the way, many of you have asked me, how do I minister to my mom? How do I minister to my dad or my brother or my co-worker? You ask hard questions like this. You ask hard questions. If this man is a sinner, then how is he able to do such a miraculous miracle? You ask questions that are difficult for them to answer. Ask questions concerning their faith. Ask questions concerning their salvation. Ask questions concerning their work in salvation. And let them answer it. Let them be the ones who say, well, I think. And then ask him, where did you get that information from? And just say to them after they've given the wrong answer, say, interesting. And walk away. (laughs) Knowing they're wrong. And then have another conversation about them. So last time you said, yeah, it's interesting because I read in the Bible. That's the way to do it. These Pharisees were asked a question that they could not answer. These Pharisees felt the pressure and they go to the most unlikely source in order to answer or settle the dispute. They go to the blind man. Imagine the scene. Seventy astute elders arguing amongst themselves while this blind man is looking back and forth as if he's watching a tennis match. And they finally say, hold on a second. What do you think? 
What about you? The Bible says in verse 17, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Can you imagine that? He's a prophet. And do you know what their response was? It is the same response that every hard-hearted person who refused to believe the truth says, even when all the evidence of truth are standing right in front of them. Here's their answer. Oh, you weren't even blind to begin with. Who asked you? <laughs> You're a phony. And here's the other thing. Where are your parents? We'll get to the bottom of this. Verse 18 to 23 tells us that they called the blind man's parents. And here's their son standing in the courts of the Pharisees. The one that had been born blind, giving witness of the fact that he was healed by Jesus. What would you do if your son was born blind or your child was born blind and you were informed they can see? What would your response be? What would your reaction be? Knowing that you had held this baby from birth, knowing what kind of life will they live as a blind man. And then all of a sudden someone comes and gives you a report. Your son, your daughter, they see. And your response is, how do they see the man named Jesus healed him, healed her? They come to this court. They are brought in and they said, verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And because you know how you would respond in this situation. Consider the parent's reaction or response. Verse 20. We know this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. And how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know how, who opened his eyes. Listen now. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. They almost divorced themselves from the entire process. And verse 22 tells us why. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Why did they fear the Jews? Because the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess that Jesus be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue or they were to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. This was not an investigation. This was a scare tactic by the Gestapo organization of that day. They were there to intimidate people. They were there to keep people from saying anything positive about Jesus. And it's interesting because the Jews knew that this man was blind and they knew that he could now see. They also knew who healed this man. And this could not be denied. Now, listen, the parents even knew. Mm -hmm. The parents knew this man was born blind. They knew he had been healed and they knew that Jesus healed him. The Bible does not say they did not know. The Bible says they knew, but they said this in fear of the Jews because the Jews would excommunicate them if they said anything positive concerning Christ. Can you imagine that? They may have been in a they may have been amazed when they saw or heard that their son was blind, but they had to do their their joy or express their joy, express their amazement in private. If you could say anything concerning this man, you would be, the Bible uh, speaks of this Greek word, but it's essentially unsynagogued. You would be unsynagogued. And for you and me, we would just find another church, right? But for these people, 
the synagogue was the central place of worship that everyone went to. When you were unsynagogued, everyone knew you were unsynagogued. And it affected your social and religious life. You could not buy, sell, or even work amongst other Jews. And guess who lived all around you? Jews. And they look at you because you're marked. Well, you can see why this devastating punishment would cause them to say, we don't know anything, ask him. So in light of the fact that the Jews knew that all these, all these truths concerning the miracle of, of this blind man and could not refute them, they decided to threaten people because their hearts were so hard toward Christ and the truth. Verse 24 says, for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind. Here's what they said. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Why come to that conclusion? Why conclude that Jesus is a sinner? They know that only God can do such a miracle. Here's the answer. Because of their hard hearts. Call him a sinner because your heart is hard. You think of those who reject Christ today and have evil, negative things to say about Christ and his church. And it's because their hearts are hard. There is not enough evidence. There is never enough truth. There is never enough witnesses. No matter what is presented to them, they will reject truth because their hearts are hard. You know this in your very own lives. You know this with the people that you try consistently to share gospel truth with. And it seems like the more you share, the more they plug their ears. And what a sad reality to know that there are those many who are living today. That constantly and consistently reject truth, no matter how many evidences are given to them. Listen, they will die in their unbelief and they will die in sin. That's right. Amen. These men were determined not to believe. You know people like that who are determined not to believe? That they see your life, they see that you were once blind and now you see, they see that you were once dead and now you're alive. Yes. And that, does, yes. that causes them even more yes. determination yes. to not believe. And you think, is it in spite of me or is it to spite me that you don't want truth? Is it to to hurt me that you don't want truth? Maybe so. But the root of that is their sin and their hard heartedness, which only God himself can break through. They made up their minds that no evidence would change their mind. You know, people like that. They made up their minds that no proof would influence their wills. You know, people like that. Not even something that had never been done before in all of history. A man being born blind is now given sight. Not going to change my mind. That's right. That's right. Amen. They were like the men who heard the message of Stephen in Acts uh, chapter 7. The second martyr of the Christian faith. The Bible records that Stephen preached the gospel so clearly and so truthfully that, verse 57 of chapter 7, they cried out. With a loud voice and stopped their ears and altogether rushed at him. They literally plugged their ears, shouted loud in order to drown out the truth. This is what hard hearts do. They just turn up the sound. They turn up the lies so that truth cannot be heard. Do you know people like that? That when you begin to speak to them, they automatically say, yeah, yeah, they get louder. And they walk away. What are they doing? They are shouting and plugging their ears and running away. Instead of running toward you, because some of you might be their parents, they're running away from you. But in their hearts, they hate God. 
And that's why they yell. And that's why they plug their ears. Because they are still hard-hearted haters of God. And what must you do? How do you break through that? You pray for them. You fall on your knees every single day and pray for them. You let them know when you see them, son, daughter, brother, mom, dad, I'm praying for you. Oh, stop praying for me. I don't care what you say. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to continue to pray for you. They may even curse you when you tell them that you're praying for them. They may even say, pray for yourself. And you say, I will. And I do. I'm praying that I don't stop praying for you. Because you're pushing it right now. They don't want truth. They don't want God. And again, only God can overcome that kind of rebellion. Let this be a warning to you. Let us always pray for and desire to have a mind that is open to hearing the truth. Let us always pray that God gives us hearts and minds like the Bereans who, when they first heard Paul preach, they listened with attention. Let us always pray that that God helps us to be like them who heard scripture with all readiness and then went back to compare it with God's word to see if these things were so. Let us pray that God always gives us soft hearts to receive his truth. Let us not be hard hearted. Let us pray that God continues to give us hearts that are willing and ready to receive his truth. Three, the immovable faith in the face of persecution. This is verses 25 to 34. There was something that was already working in this man, something that would not be shaken. You recall that this man was asked in the presence of 70 elders who are fighting amongst themselves concerning the person of Jesus. Who do you think this man is? Do you remember Jesus asked the question? Who do men say that I am? Some say you are. Some say you are. This man, not even having any knowledge necessarily of Jesus, only knowing that Jesus healed him, says this man is a prophet. Well aware. Think about this. He was well aware of the word that was being put out about Jesus. He was aware that there was a man named Jesus that was doing miraculous things. He was also aware that if he said anything positive concerning Jesus, he would be kicked out of the synagogue. But when they asked him, what do you think about this man? This man's a prophet. Do you think about the faith that this man had, even though it was small, even though it was unlearned? When he was asked in the face of 70 learned elders, the leaders of Israel, he says to them without fear. He says to them without shaking. He says to them almost as if a Martin Luther kind This man is a prophet. I will not recant. In light of the fact that this man knew that there would be punishment for anyone who spoke positively concerning Christ. And he's never even seen Christ. He went. I washed. I see. I don't know where he is. It's Jesus. But he did this for me and he's a prophet. They say, well, we, the learned of Israel, we have determined that this man is a sinner. Really? Really? Well, I don't know all of that or anything about that. You call him a sinner? I don't know anything about that. Here's what I do know. I was blind. Do you get that? I was blind. Of course you don't get that because you've never been blind, he's saying to them. Of course you don't understand what it is like to grope in the dark looking for your way and have people pass by you without giving you any direction as to where you're going. You don't know what it's like to be blind. You don't know what it's like to hear voices in your head and not be able to have faces that identify who those voices are. 
Yeah, you don't know what it's like to be blind. You don't know what it's like to be blind and to feel the cold winter and the heat of summer, but never to see their seasons with your own eyes. You don't know what it's like to be blind. And now I can see. Do you get that? I was blind and now I can see. And all you care about is demonizing this man who gave me eyes. I can now see seasons. I can now identify faces. I can now determine my own way. I don't know about all of that sinner stuff. But I was blind and now I can see. We, we know this very well. He did not recant his statements. He knew of the consequence but cared nothing about king, being kicked out of the synagogue. Listen, he never knew whether he was in the synagogue or not. He was blind. I could be in the synagogue. I, I don't know where I am. So being kicked out didn't really matter to him. He never knew where he was anyways. The main point is that he was not moved by their threats. Why? Because God had begun a work in his heart. The moment when Jesus comes to him and says, go wash. Even before that, there was a softening of the heart. And that heart was so softened that he reacted in faith to go and wash. And his response was, I washed, now I see. What did I say about him? He's a prophet. What do I say about him? I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but what I do know is he healed me. And it's an interesting contrast. The Pharisees had ample evidence and information about Jesus and his teachings and his miracles. And yet their hearts remained hard and they would grow more cold. This man had little information about Jesus. Little information about his teachings, little information about his miracles. But yet his heart is softened and he responds in faith to Christ. How sad sometimes too much information is. And God works in faith as small as a mustard seed. And this is not the testimony of all of our hearts. I was once in the dark and now I have light. I was once afraid of God and now I love him. I was once in love with sin and now I hate sin. I was once blind and now I see. J.C. Ryle says, and I asked Arturo to put this on our Facebook. Let us never rest until we know and feel within us some real work of the Holy Ghost. Let us never rest till we know and feel within us some real work of the Holy Ghost. Let us not be content with the name or form of Christianity. Let us desire to have true experimental acquaintance with it. Feeling no doubt. Feeling no doubt are deceitful. Feelings no doubt are deceitful. And are not everything in religion. But listen. But if we have no inward feelings about spiritual matters, it is a very bad sign. Why? The hungry man eats and feels strengthened. The thirsty man drinks and feels refreshed. Surely the man who has within him the grace of God ought to be able to say, I feel his power. Yes. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Even though unbelief is strong, his belief is powerfully working in his life. And he has no fear. Listen to his answer. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become a disciple too? What boldness? You got to remember who he's speaking to. Seventy elders. What? Again. You want to be a follower of Jesus? He's now told them four times what happened or maybe more. You want to hear it again? You want to follow him too? They appeal to Moses. They said in verse 28, they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They began to pull up their self-righteous bootstraps and they, re they, they retreated to their safety net, which is either Moses or Abraham. Moses, they were saying, essentially, you poor, ignorant beggar, we are not as foolish as you are to follow this man. We follow Moses. Yes, that's right. And yet in their blindness, they were the ones who were ignorant. Ignorant of the fact that Jesus is the savior of Moses. Ignorant of the fact that, that Moses spoke of a savior in reference to Jesus. Ignorant of the fact that Moses was a disciple of Jesus. They say we are disciples of Moses. Most people say I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't know who you're following. You get that? You must get that. They talked of Moses as if Moses was opposed to Christ. They were the ones who were opposed to Christ and they were the ones who were opposed to Moses. They said, we don't even know where this guy comes from now. You've got to hear this. This blind beggar. Listen to his response when they say, we are Moses' disciples. And we don't even know where this man comes from. Why is this an amazing thing? This is what the Bible says. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But anyone who is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to them. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This man were not from God. He could do nothing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing response from this man whom God is working in his heart. This man responds as if he's the elder of Israel and they're the poor beggars. That's right. That's right. Because they are. Yeah. You don't know where he comes from. You're the learned ones of Israel and you don't know this man or where he comes from, let me tell you what we all know. He says, we all know, meaning this. This is the common understanding of all people who know God. God does not hear the wicked. Wicked people are not given power to work miracles. And only people who God, only people who fear God will be people that God hears. And people who habitually do the will of God. This is what we know. You're going to say we don't know. Here's what we do know. And in light of what we know, he healed my eyes. So what does that say about him based upon what we do know? Amen. Amen. That he's from God. Yeah. And yet you call him a sinner. But guess what? Sinner saved me. <laughs> the so-called sinner saved me. This is to be our response when we are confronted with people who oppose the truth. That's right. Stand in faith. Stand in the truth. Stand on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. When they come to you and oppose truth. Give them more truth. When they come to you and say that what you're saying is a lie, continue speaking the truth. Don't be moved. Don't be shaken. Paul encourages his young apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is living among who is living, wait, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and com with complete patience and teaching. Why? Verse 3 of that chapter. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to pursue or to suit their own passions. Brothers and sisters, you will face confrontation. You will face persecution. You will face opposition. You will face unbelief. And what must you do when all of these things that will no doubt come your way... What must you do in those times? Preach the word. Speak 
the word. Stand in the face of opposition in faith. What was their response? He corrects them. He gives them a lesson. He gives them a whooping. They say to him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. Then they kicked him out. They cast him out of the the synagogue. Essentially, they excommunicated him that very moment. Now, we remember what happens when you're excommunicated. Here he is, he can see, and now he's being separated or cut off from the social and spiritual life of Israel. He was dismembered from the worship in the temple. But then something happens. He's kicked out of the temple But then the true temple comes to him. He's kicked out of the presence of God, the temple, but then God himself comes to him. Jesus saves the sinner, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he? Lord or sir, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The man was kicked out of the temple only to have the true temple come to him. Kicked out of the presence of God only to have the true presence of God come to him. J.C. Ryle says, having lost the synagogue, he found heaven. Having lost the synagogue, he found heaven. Listen, this man did not find Jesus. Jesus found this man. Jesus found this man and Jesus found you. You may say, I was lost and then I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. And he found you. Jesus comes to this man and says, others are unbelieving. What about you? Do you believe in the son of man? And God displays that this man was not only healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. Because when he was asked the question, do you believe? He not only said, I believe, but he worshiped Jesus, which is an acknowledgement that Jesus is God. God. You ever worship someone? You shouldn't. And if you do, you're acknowledging that they're God. God gave this man faith. God chose this man from the foundations of the world. From this man, from this moment, for this moment that he would come to faith and believe upon his son. That's what Jesus does. He's a savior. That's what he came to do was to save blind people. And if you can imagine you yourself sitting on the side of the road by walls, hoping for some kind of good deed to be done to you while in your blindness. And here comes Jesus opened your blind eyes and asked you the simple question. Do you believe in me? And of course you would believe in the person who gave you sight. That's the work of of faith. That's the work of salvation. First he gives you eyes to see and then he asks you, now follow me. And you say, well, you're the one who gave me eyes. I'll follow you wherever you go. What's the command of Jesus when he calls his disciples to himself? He says, follow me. They will only follow because they've been given eyes to see where he's going. And in hot pursuit, we chase after him. And yes, we fall and yes, we we fail. But he is there to give us grace each time to pick us up and say, do you believe? Follow me. Verse 38, Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world 
that those who see may those who do not see may see and those who say who see may become blind. I'm going to read that again because I didn't do that justice for judgment. I came into this world that who those who do not uh, that who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Thank you, Jesus, for that wording. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Wouldn't you have loved to be there at that moment? You know, he said it loud enough for them to hear. He might have even said it. I came to bring light to those who can't see as he's looking to the sinners, not that you're a sinner, looking to the sinners and saying, and I came to take sight from those who think that they can see as he's looking at this, at those who say they see. And they say, what are you saying? Are we blind? Yes. Jesus says to them, if you were blind. You would have no guilt. But since you say we see. Your guilt remains. Yes, you were blind. They continued in their hard heartedness. Brothers and sisters, what about you? Have you trusted in Christ this morning? Have you trusted in the son of man as he's come to you and says, do you believe? Have you has he? Open your eyes this morning and are you ready to stand in faith when opposition comes your way? Yes. This morning, if that is you, I'd like to welcome you to the Lord's table. Yes. I'd like to welcome you to fellowship with him as he comes yes. close to you and says, do you believe in will you follow me? Yes. And this morning, let this be a reminder of the means of grace that God gives you as he offers to you grace to endure, even in spite of the failures that we so often fall into. He uses this as a means of grace to say you are forgiven. The cross has conquered every single one of your sins. And it's by grace that you have been saved. Get up. Yes. Follow me. Yes. Let's stand.